Protoplasm Advent Calendar Day 2, Cordoin and Smith's Instrumentality of Mankind, or specifically the concepts of space travel within Cordwain and Smith's universe. So there's a lot to Cordwain and Smith's instrumentality sequence. Um, there is a timeline that was compiled by, um, I think, an, an editor, J.J. Pierce, who also writes the foreword to The Rediscovery of Man, which is the um, the SF Masterworks bind-up of Cordwain and Smith. Um, you can get um, The Rediscovery of Man in the SF Masterworks, and then his only novel in Australia was also printed in one of the, I think it was the Galantz classic ones. Um, I've got a couple of the other stories, but pretty much if you get those two, you've got everything you really need to know. Uh, the only things that are missing are the things that happen um, basically post-instrumentality with the embargo of religion. Um, so that's the Cash and Neil series, which um, are bound up in the quest for the three worlds. Um, but anyway, the instrumentality of mankind, it spans about, well, it goes up to 16,000 AD and beyond. And the period we're talking about, um, the period I want to talk about is between, say, 6,000 and 16,000. Um, so towards the end of that, you get to this state called the, the instrumentality of mankind, which is a sort of utopian authoritarian state. Um, but before then... The bits that I find the most compelling are all the short stories, particularly the ones that deal with travelling vast distances and the problems people encountered with space travel. And bear in mind that um, Linebarger, that's um, Cordwain Smith's actual uh, real name, was Dr Paul Linebarger. Um, uh, I think Linebarger was, um, let's see, 1966, and so one of his very last stories... Uh, was written you know just before 1966 so the the idea of space travel was actually there but at the time when uh Linebarger was writing as called Wayne Smith basically I'd seen um massive changes in the attitudes to space exploration and the the uh, the concept of what space is and that's one of the things that that um probably makes well, it makes the, uh, the the stories about space travel and pioneering travel so interesting because of the assumptions uh, that Linebarger makes about the physicality of space travel and the pain that people go through. And it's it's quite literal pain where um, the uh, space is portrayed as sort of a great nightmare, as this horrific realm of... Um, endless pain and one of the first attempts to cross space involved harbour men so these would be humans who were transformed into um, well emotionless characters and unfeeling characters who would then uh, then crew the ships that would travel between space and this was being our normal space so there would be travel that would take hundreds of subjective years but also would approach light speed so I assume that um, you know Dr. Linebarger knew quite a bit about you know relativity. Anyway, where was I? Yes, the harbourman. Harbourman are usually made up of of convicts, and um, being a harbourman, it was suggested, uh, is is a punishment and a horrible ordeal. But harbourmen are supervised by scanners who are, unlike harbourmen who are conscripts, they they're actually volunteers. They volunteer to 
be uh, part of a ship's crew to supervise the harbourman. It's not exactly clear what why the harbourman are needed or why it's dangerous. Um, it's suggested that uh, because they call space the great pain, that there is some actual radiation that penetrates through ships and destroys organic life within it. The story Scanners Live in Vain focuses on the sort of the experience of the harbourmen and the way that their uh, utility is coming to an end because of the title. Uh, someone has actually discovered a new technology that will make them obsolete. And the protagonist is actually tasked by a uh, by, by his fellow scanners to assassinate this scientist before this technology takes root so it's like this this weird sort of luddite mentality um and the uh, the thing about the scanners is because normally they uh, exist in an emotional estate so they've taken this decision kind of dispassionately but uh, they have this activity called cranching where they regain some of their humanity and human emotion. And because the person they tasked to do this has crunched while they task him with it, he actually has a, an attack of conscience and doesn't kill the scientist. And the scientist, it turns out, has a means of, um, means of protecting people by lining the ships with um, mollusks, basically, shellfish, um, oysters, I think, um, so there's a suggestion that the radiation from outside is absorbed by organic tissue and it's the the harbour and previously were sacrifices to space travel and now they don't need to do that anymore because they can they can um, cross these distances by stuffing the um the the outer hull with um with oysters uh and later there's an allusion to the things called shell ships which are supposedly you know normal space ships as in they travel in normal space, not any kind of hyperspace or space fold. So they're like um, generation ships or colony ships, and they take incredibly long times to get where they're going. So that was Scanners Live in Vain. Scanners Living in Vain because they're about to be made obsolete. So we, then we have another story which is uh, around the same idea uh, called The Lady Who Sailed the Soul. And this is all about a woman who meets an astral navigator it's the while while everyone else stays asleep during travel which may take um you know 40 years of subjective time even oh sorry 40 years of objective time even though subjectively for most passengers in cryo sleep it's hardly any time at all um these uh the one person has to stay awake a navigator of some sort and they have to be biologically altered so that they can deal with the passing of time um they have to have uh feeding tubes inserted into them because they can't simply consume enough calories at their accelerated metabolism and uh, they need to experience time at a, a massive increase in rate because otherwise they'd just go insane um, so there's this, again, this idea of personal sacrifice, these pioneers trying to cross the vastness of space. And that's a nice story because the um, the main character, she meets a man who she decides is the love of her life. And he's a navigator and is now traveling back to his home planet. And she volunteers to be a navigator to pursue him. And she ages objectively whilst she's piloting the ship and they end up living together as uh, around the same age and um, living happily after after so 
that's the that's the first concept we have in um, of space travel. The second one is the the discovery of space two. It's it's usually space written as space subscript two, and this then moves on. So so the 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 previous two stories are around 6000 AD. That's the Scanners Live in Vain and The Lady Who Saved the Soul. Then we jump forward 3000 years to talk about what Cordwain Smith calls the age of planiforming. Now, planiforming is what we would imagine as hyperspace, you know, space fault. So much more rapid than traditional space travel, but incredibly dangerous because it appears that there is some sort of malevolent psychic force that exists in space too, which attacks people who try to travel it. Um, and they are referred to by humans as dragons. Um, and they are scared off by light. So they have these gunners on um, the planiform ships who are called pinlighters, who are basically there to fend off these psychic attacks when the dragons come near but they're not quick enough to get all of the dragons and it's still like risky so you know you say one in ten ships isn't going to make it that's still an unacceptable risk but what they do have helping them is psychic cats who pilot little outrigger craft who can spot the dragons way faster than the pinlighters can and they psychically pair with these cats and then they both fight off the dragons together. It's from a story called The Game of Rat and Dragon, um, because the cats perceive these as rats, not dragons. There's another story that's set around the same time called The Burning of the Brain, and this is all about a mistake that happens in hyperspace where the navigation cards, which um, need to be set very precisely to navigate through this space to this hyperspace, um, they are there's a mistake after takeoff and once they're in space two the cards all appear to be blank and they realize the only way that they can get back to normal space is using the memory in the captain's brain of the route that they took but this extraction process this machine reading of the human brain is well it's effectively fatal to the captain and the story that's based on is called the burning of the brain so again, we've got a different kind of sacrifice that goes on in space too. Then there's a third kind of space, which is called space three. And this is, well, it's, it, it's, to, it, it's kind of written as a kind of um, dimensional teleportational travel. And the suggestion that the people who manage to travel this and travel it instantaneously do so by having an, an unusual capacity for rage and being stimulated to the point that they travel instantaneously through uh, what is described as some sort of nirvana or, or, you know, higher conscious state. So that's the interesting thing. You have space two being this kind of underworld that people have to tra traverse through. And then space three being kind of the opposite. It's like this higher world that people traverse through as if they exist in all, all points in the universe at once and then can instantaneously teleport there. The story that features Space 3 heavily is called Drunk Boat, and it's not, unfortunately, it's not in the Rediscovery of Man bind-up. I've got it in um, Space Lords, and it's... It's called Drunk Boat because it's the idea that this person who is who is an experimental subject who is stimulated to the point of of such rage that they transcend space and time um they go into a sort of a state called drunk boat 
and it it allows them to, for one thing, they acquire powers to to you know basically remould matter as they see it. Um, but they also have powers to move through space and time. But this this person is a um, has been picked by one of the lords of of the instrumentality as a sort of test subject, and in doing so, the lord has committed various crimes. There's very much this idea about uh, this future utopia, as I mentioned, it's an authoritarian utopia, and the laws are, and the lords are forbidden from doing certain things, and yet you have them acting in some cases as a law unto themselves purely for the point of scientific advancement and there's one th- one point that's made in uh, in this story drunk boat where it describes the man describes himself as becoming the ship and therefore becoming the mode of space travel and he might be speaking literally or metaphorically but the interesting thing is there is a later story um called uh, three to a given star and this is set in the very end of the timeline of of smith's work so that story is about uh, three or four um, criminals who've been for their crimes they've been transformed into um, devices which can subjugate worlds on behalf of the instrumentality. Now, the reason they're subjugating the world may be something to do with the instrumentality's embargo on religion. By that time, they consider religion a disease, and they can they even go so far as to detect if a person is thinking about uh, religious thoughts. Um, and if, if you are even psychically detected to be religious, then you are forbidden from planetary travel because the idea is that it is a, it's a disease that could spread to other worlds and um, religion is, uh, it is seen as you know the antithesis of the instrumentality. Um, it's also referred to, in some cases, as the old strong religion. But anyway, uh, these um, these convicts have been transformed, one, I think, into this uh, spaceship, one into a 200-foot-tall iron, or a 200-foot-tall robot of some sort, and one into a cube that uh, contains incredible destructive power. Uh, so again, we've got this, these themes of metamorphosis uh, and sacrifice to travel vast distances. And uh, you know to to not only um, do the instrumentality's work and be you know be transformed to achieve their ends, but also in order to actually move through the vastness of space, being physically altered. There's so much more to say about um, Caldwell Smith's rediscovery of man, but I wanted to pick on those because um, those were the stories I found the most interesting and the most potentially fruitful in terms of role playing. Um, we don't often talk a lot about journeys and how they take a toll on people. Um, I do like Lace and Steel for the way that it has um, you know, a, a travel role that you make. And if you have a bad time traveling, you suffer fatigue and a hit to your self-image. So you actually feel low and this influences the game. Um, so, you know, fatigue, um, mental fatigue, physical fatigue... Um, radiation sickness or other social effects as a result of travel are all sacrifices I could see um, putting on players if they choose to cross vast distances. Um, I also think that um, 
space travel is a particularly great place to put a scenario because of course you've got a closed environment you've got uh, there's no way for the characters to go um i i have run a particular scenario recently which is all about travelers traveling in low berths and finding something very weird has happened to their ship and being waken up woken up um and uh yeah i think it's a, a very fruitful place to put you know a, a claustrophobic um closed environment with you know mysteries to discover and limited resources and all sorts of stuff so yeah yeah so that's space travel and that's called Randy smith thoroughly recommended okay so i should open uh open door number two to the advent calendar just just a moment so okay let's bring it up here oh oh it's a little royal raw oysters delicious oh and they're nice and warm lovely all right then thanks for listening see you next time Fictoplasm Podcast. Words by Ralph Lovegrove, music by Chris Zabriskie. Find out more at fictoplasm.net.